Murphy's Pond. It was a pleasant change from the incessant noise and movement at the university an hour or so away, where, normally, my job was dean of students. In truth, it was, as my late father used to say in a rare ironic moment, not so much a job as a position. Others did most of the real work. I was, in fact, in a kind of pastoral limbo, recovering ostensibly from several years of hard, unsavory employment. The phone aroused me on that Monday morning in Port Hood and launched the narrative that I must now, with some reluctance, share. The bishop needs to see you. What does he want now? I asked. He didn't say. He said to come this evening, to the palace. I know now that I was stalling when I drove to Little Harbor, which is another, smaller fishing port just off a secondary road on the southern edge of the parish. The harbor seemed to be deserted. Among the vivid particulars of that October morning in 1993, I remember a blue heron, knee-deep, transfixed by something in the quiet, oil-still water. Then I heard a throbbing diesel engine and at that moment observed a tall radio antenna mounted upon what might have been a crucifix. It was moving slowly above the crest of a low ridge in the near distance. The transient cross and the gentle rumble seemed unrelated, until a boat suddenly appeared around the jagged end of a breakwater. It was a fishing vessel, about forty feet long, bristling with aerials and with a broad workspace behind the cab. The name... The Lady Hawthorne might have been an omen, or maybe I just think that now, in the clarity of hindsight. The boy standing on the bow was about eighteen years old. A rope dangled casually from a large left hand. He wore the uniform of the shore, jeans, a discolored sweater unraveled at the elbows, knee-high rubber boots. He had a thick mop of unfashionably long hair obscuring his brow and neck. His face was tanned. He stared straight ahead, but then turned and nodded, a moment of distracted curiosity as the boat slipped down the long throat of the harbor, stem turning a clean, whispering furrow. It was about eight o'clock. The blood-red sun hovering behind me lifted a flimsy mist and held it just above the surface of the water. I felt the first stirring of a breeze. Something about the boat, perhaps its name, and the posture of that boy caused me to defer my anxieties for the moment. It was so rare to see someone that age stationary, somber. I was more accustomed to a rowdy, adolescent enthusiasm. This young man, I realized, was exceptional only because of time and place. Maybe any one of them in those circumstances would have been the same. Quiet. But he caught my attention nevertheless and linked the moment to tender places in the memory. Doomed boys and men. In retrospect, they all have that stillness. The man at the controls was probably my age. Tall and heavyset. They were, to my mind, almost reckless then rushing through the narrow passage, past a nestling line of sister boats. But just before the wharf there was a roar of reverse acceleration, and the Lady Hawthorne seemed to pivot in a tight circle, 
then drift gently into a space between two others, bow pointing seaward. The boy stepped casually ashore with the rope. The older man was already at the stern, gathering another line into a coil, which he tossed up onto the land. The two fishermen were winching some large plastic boxes onto the dock as I was walking back to my car. Father and son, I assumed. They didn't seem to notice me. I was almost at the car when the older man spoke. Wicked morning, eh, father? I turned. I never forget a face, he said. Father McCaskill, isn't it? Yes, I said. He walked toward me then, holding out a large hand. He seemed a bit unsteady. The boy was back on board the boat and out of sight. Dan McKay, he said. I think I heard you're from up around the strait. Yes.